There was a company that wasn't going well, and so they thought it was time for a shake-up. So they hired a new manager. And the new boss decided to be tough on his first day, so he's going to get rid of all the slackers. He was going to clean out this company and make it go well. So on his first day, he's being taken on a tour of the factory, and in one of the rooms, he notices that there's a guy just casually leaning up against the side of the doorway, looking a bit relaxed. And this room is full of workers, so the boss thinks this will be a great way to make a statement on my first day. So he says to the guy leaning on the wall, stand up. The guy stands up, he's straight. He says, how much money do you make? The guy says, I don't know, $400 a week. The boss says, wait there. He goes out to his office. He comes back. He gives the guy $1,600 in cash. He says, here's four weeks pay. Get out of here. I don't want to see your face again. Having raised the standards for the other workers, he looks around the room and he says, what was that guy meant to be doing anyway? Someone says, nothing. He was the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. <laughs> Case of mistaken identity. Although in Mark's gospel in chapter 6, we get a far worse case of mistaken identity than that. We get people being mistaken about Jesus' identity. Last week in Mark 6, we saw people were having all kinds of guesses as to who Jesus was. Some said, he's Elijah. Some claimed, he's a prophet, like in the Old Testament. And um, King Herod came up with the wackiest idea of all. John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Herod thinks that um, Jesus is John, come, somehow come back alive again. These people have no idea of who Jesus is. They know he's powerful. They know he can do miracles. But it's all guesses. Elijah, John the Baptist, a prophet. It's all guesses. But when it comes to someone as important as Jesus, you don't want to be left guessing. You don't want to go on what you see in an SBS documentary. You really want to be sure about who Jesus is. And in fact, by the time we get to Mark chapter 8... Jesus will ask his disciples directly, who do you say I am? Jesus says to them, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? So in Mark 6, people are guessing who Jesus is. And in Mark 8, Jesus asks his disciples directly, who do you say I am? And what happens in the middle of that confusion and Jesus asking his disciples is that he shows them very clearly who he is so they can be sure of it. Let's pick it up from Mark 6 and verse 31. After all the action of last week, Jesus wants his disciples to get some rest. Verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they do that. They go out into the, in the boat to find a quiet place. But because Jesus is a bit of a celebrity by now, people are literally running along the shore trying to beat them there. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns 
to get there ahead of them. So much for arrest. They arrive there and there's a bigger crowd on the other side. But look at Jesus' response. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? I'm sensing here that the disciples are slightly put out. Not just have they lost their rest, but now they've got this huge crowd to feed and they've done the calculations, two or three dollars a head. We're talking twenty or thirty thousand dollars to cater for these people. Eight months wages. They're in the middle of nowhere, there's no shops, there's no Domino's pizza delivery. The disciples simply want to send these people all back home so they can get something to eat. But Jesus has another idea. Jesus sits the people down in groups of fifties and hundreds, and then he takes what little food they have, five pieces of bread and two fish, and he hands them out, and then he just seems to hand them out and hand them out. And verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Well, this passage is about Jesus' identity, who he is. Here we see an incredible miracle, but there's more. What happens next is that Jesus again sends his disciples ahead of him by boat, just like he did. Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. It doesn't go as well this time because they don't actually make it across the other side. They are rowing into a headwind and getting nowhere. Verse 48. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Jesus has done another miracle to show his disciples who he is, but it seems that they have not really worked out who he is. They're su as surprised here by Jesus calming the storm as they were back in chapter 4 when he did a similar thing. This chapter is supposedly about Jesus' identity, but his disciples don't seem to get it. In fact, in verse 52, Mark tells us why his disciples still don't get it. Verse 52, For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Now that's the key to this chapter. The reason the disciples don't understand who Jesus is is because they don't understand about the loaves. The problem is that's not a lot of help to us too if we don't understand about the loaves either. What is, on earth does that mean? They had not understood 
about the loaves? What was there to not understand? Mark is telling us, go back, read it again, pay very careful attention to the loaves. And when you understand what the loaves are all about, you'll understand who Jesus is. So let's go back a bit, look at the feeding a bit closer, the feeding of the 5,000, and pay a bit more attention to the loaves. The first thing we hear, time we hear anything about loaves is verse 38. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. So there's where the loaves appear. What happens next? Verse 39. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups. On green grass, they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, that's a bit odd. Um, Is there any significance to that, sitting down in groups of hundreds and fifties? Why does Mark bother telling us that? Or is that just an easy way to distribute food? Well, the words used to describe those groups, hundreds and fifties, is a military term from the Old Testament. And it's the same word that they use in the Exodus after God's people are rescued, where Moses puts the people in groups of thousands, hundreds and fifties and puts judges over them. Now, the Exodus is the biggest event in the Old Testament. The Exodus is where God rescues his people and reveals to to them who he is. It's talked about all through the Bible, the Exodus. Well, you might think, think, so what? The The groups are the same size as the Exodus, 50s and 100s. But that's not the only similarity between this passage and the Exodus. In the Exodus, you might remember, God leads his people into a desert. Here, Jesus leads the people to a deserted place. There's more, though. Back in the Exodus, in the desert, God fed the people bread, manna. Here, Jesus feeds the people bread. In other words, Jesus is doing the miracle and Mark is describing the miracle in a way to show us that this is like God feeding his people in the desert. Now, the more you read, the more similarities you find. In fact, last week, there was some really strange stuff in the passage we looked at, wasn't there? When Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the gospel, in fact, as the passage was being read, someone laughed at the phrase where it said, um, don't take two tops, I noticed. Mark 6, 8, it says, These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra top. Now, what was that all about? Well, those instructions are very similar to what happened in the Exodus. A staff, well, that's um, just like in the Exodus. Just before it in the Passover, the Israelites were told to eat the Passover meal with a staff in their hand, ready to go. No bread, no sandals on your feet, only one tunic. That's because, well, listen to what God says about the Exodus. Deuteronomy 29. During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out. In other words, you only needed one set. Nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. So back in the Exodus, they only had one pair of sandals, they only had one set of clothing, and they had no bread, except that which God provided. And when Jesus sent his disciples out to preach in Mark 6 last week, he said, take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, 
but not an extra tunic. Sounded a bit funny at the time, but it's actually pointing us back to the Exodus. What's happening in Mark 6 is this is like the Exodus all over again. God will rescue his people and God will show his people who he is. Well, wait, there's more. Because in Mark 6.34 it says this, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That very phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is not a phrase that Mark has invented. Again, it's a phrase from the Exodus. In Numbers 27, after the Exodus, when Moses is about to die, God says to Moses that he needs to find someone else after him to lead God's people so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And in that passage, it says that this person who will look after God's people so that they won't be like a sheep without a shepherd will be someone who has the spirit of God on them. Well, that's exactly here what Jesus is doing, isn't it? Jesus is coming after Moses to look after God's people, to take care of them. All that, what happens next? Well, Jesus' disciples are out on the, in, the, in the boat, on the water. Jesus looks out and he sees them straining on the oars because the wind was against them. Verse 48, about the fourth watch of the night, which incidentally is exactly the same watch as when the Israelites walked through the Red Sea. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Now that's a strange little bit, isn't it? What does it mean that Jesus was about to pass them by? Because you'd expect he sees them there straining, he'd stop and help them. But no, it says he's about to pass them by. Does that mean he's just cruising along, walking on the water? He's going to overtake them in the next lane like a pea plate to show off how fast he can walk while they're there straining on the oars? Is he just going to kind of pass them by and toot the horn on the way through? What is Jesus doing? Does it mean that he's just going to leave them out there in the middle of the lake and he heads over to the other shore? He was about to pass them by. Well, to pass by someone is exactly what God does in the Old Testament to Moses after the Exodus. Moses is disillusioned. You remember after the Exodus, the Israelites make the golden calf, the Ten Commandments get smashed. Moses is really upset and he asks God, God, can you show me your glory? Can you show me who you are? And God says to Moses, I will pass by you. I will cause all my goodness to pass you by. Exodus thirty-three twenty-one. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And when God passes Moses by, while Moses is in the rock, what does God say? God says, Exodus 34, 5, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses. When God passes Moses by, he proclaims his name. His name is Yahweh, or which means I am. In Exodus 3, it says, Moses says to God, so I suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. 
I am has sent me to you. In other words, God's name is I am, or in Hebrew, Yahweh or Jehovah. Now come back to Mark's gospel and what does Jesus do? He passes his disciples by and as he does it, what does he say? Verse 50, Mark 6.50, Immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Or a more perfect translation is, I am. In other words, God passes his disciples by in the boat and he uses God's name as he passes them by, I am. Jesus is showing them who he is. He's God. And like God did in the Old Testament, he's feeding his people. And like God did in the Old Testament, he's revealing his glory to his people. But they don't get it. And they don't get it because they don't understand about the bread, the loaves. They don't understand that what Jesus is doing is just repeating what happened in the Old Testament. Their hearts are hard, Mark says. And even that word, their hearts were hardened, is a word from the Old Testament. So far in Mark's Gospel, he's used things like they didn't see with their eyes, their ears were blocked. But here he says, their hearts are hard, just like Israel. Relax. I know there's a heap of stuff going on there. I've just bombarded you with heaps of things. And it doesn't matter if you don't get it all. But what you need to see is that Jesus is not just doing a miracle to show his power. Jesus is doing a particular miracle in a particular way to show that he is no one less than the God of the Old Testament come in the flesh. Jesus rescues his people, he feeds his people, and he reveals himself to his people. Jesus is showing them who he is. And when you encounter someone this powerful, you don't want to be mistaken about their identity. But that's only half the story because I think the best thing about this passage is not only is Jesus powerful, but he uses that power to care for us. Just like God cared for his people, like a a shepherd cares for his sheep in the Old Testament. Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he sits them down on green grass, in green pastures, like in Psalm 23. And then he provides for them, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And he provides abundantly all the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep's every need. In fact, in John 10, Jesus says exactly that. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So great is Jesus' love for us that for Jesus, the greatest demonstration of his love is that he gave himself to die on a cross. To care for our greatest need, our need to be forgiven, so that we can be his sheep. Put all that together and Jesus is the God of the Old Testament come in the flesh to provide for his people, to care for his people like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Put all that together and I think you're meant to come away from this passage feeling safe 
I think you're meant to come away from this passage feeling secure. Because if you're one of God's sheep, not only does your shepherd have control over all of creation, he actually has compassion on every one of his sheep. You're meant to come away from this passage feeling secure. Although that's not how the disciples felt, was it? Verse 50. They saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Why is it the disciples were afraid? Why is it they didn't feel safe? Verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. It's not that they don't feel safe because Jesus doesn't care. It's not that they don't feel safe because Jesus wasn't there to look after them. They don't feel safe because their hearts are hard. And I reckon that can be like us. We know that Jesus is powerful. He's shown us that. Nothing is outside his control. And Jesus has showed us that he cared for us by dying for us. He's full of compassion for us. If only we would have soft hearts that just surrender ourselves to him. If only we would just rest in the knowledge that God has us in his hands. I wonder if then we'd be less anxious about things. That's what the disciples failed to do. Although you can, I can kind of sympathise them with them a bit. They've just been out preaching the gospel. They've been calling on people to repent. They've been led into some people's homes, but they've been rejected from other people's homes. They've been working hard for Jesus. And then Jesus invites them out for some rest, which I reckon they would have been looking forward to. And what happens? There's so many people who've raced around the shore when they get there, there's no rest. And rather than send everyone home so that Jesus can have some nice time with his disciples, Jesus starts teaching the crowd what happened to the rest they were going to get. And then when Jesus sends his disciples on in the boat ahead, what happens? They do the right thing. They obey him. Where does it get them? In the middle of a lake with a headwind going nowhere. Following Jesus has gotten his disciples tired, worn out, and going nowhere. And their hearts are hard. They've lost sight that Jesus is the one who cares for them like a shepherd cares for his sheep. They've lost sight of the one of the fact that Jesus cares for them. Now I reckon we can be like that sometimes, can't we? Life gets busy. Medical problems come along. Trying to manage the family. Trying to manage work. And in the middle of it all, trying to do as much as you can for Jesus. And sometimes you can feel like you're in the, in the boat, paddling hard, going nowhere. Jesus wants to say, it's okay. The Lord provides for his people. No matter how hard it is, don't harden your heart against him. Trust him. Turn to him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Gospel of Mark and the way that it shows us so clearly who Jesus is. And thank you that not only is he powerful, but he loves us and he provides for us. And he's the good shepherd who loves his sheep to the point of laying down his life for us. Help us not to harden our hearts. Please soften our hearts so that we might trust Jesus, so that we might yield ourselves to him. And please help us to know that he cares. Thank you most of all that through his death, he's won for us eternal life. And thank you that if we trust him, we can look forward to dwelling in your house forever. Amen.